All right, welcome back to the Founder-Led Marketing Show. In today's episode, we have Peter Caputa, the CEO of Databox, which is a 7.5 million revenue SaaS company. They're just over 100 people. And we talk about how they are using co-marketing and LinkedIn, specifically Peter's personal LinkedIn, to generate 6,000 free trial signups for their product every single month. I hope you enjoy. Uh, thank you for joining us. You know, I've been following you on LinkedIn for a couple of weeks now. I only recently discovered you, uh, but once I kind of discovered you and started engaging with some of your content, you know, you now show up on my feed basically every day and I've, I've been loving your content. So, um, and it seems like we have some kind of common, you know, I see Justin Rowe, you know, regularly engaging with your content, you engage with his. So it's a, it's a small world. Cool. Well, the topic for today is obviously how you guys, how Databox is generating 6,000 free trial signups every month using co-marketing and LinkedIn. So we'll dive into that. But maybe as a little intro before that, can you just, number one, tell me what is Databox? Like from your perspective, how would you describe the company and what you guys do? Yeah, so Databox, uh, like the very short word in the category we're in is analytics and dashboarding software. Um, the problem we solve for companies is is helping them consolidate all their performance into one location so that they can actually monitor what's going on across their company. Um, most companies are using lots of different software products at this point and their performance data is all over the place. And so for a busy executive to get a pulse on performance, they usually have to wait a week um, and bother, bother several people to get it. So we're all about connecting into popular software tools like Google Analytics, HubSpot, SEO tools, ad platforms, CRMs, et cetera, pulling all that data into one spot so that they can then monitor, report, forecast, benchmark, get alerts when things are going wrong, et cetera, et cetera. And so it's mostly sales and marketing data? Yeah, yeah. So a lot of our focus has been on marketing and sales data um, because marketers especially tend to use a lot of different tools um, and also need to be able to report the impact of marketing on sales. And so that's kind of where our focus is. But we have other integrations. We have project management integrations, finance integrations. Um, uh, we have integrations pre-built where you can connect almost any hosted SQL database, spreadsheet, et cetera. So companies use us to track performance all the way from you know, their SEO and paid ads all the way through to their profitability. You obviously work with a lot of or a lot of marketing agencies are using you guys to do client reporting. Is this like the the main use case you feel like you're servicing? Um, so 40% of our customers are marketing agencies and their use case is using us to report results to clients and to uh, be able to stay on top of the that client performance across state 10, 20, in some cases, hundreds of clients. Um, so take the problem we saw for a regular company um, where they might have 12 tools and they need to track and multiply that by 100 clients and you got 1,200 logins to take care of. So we're helping those agencies pull all that together so they can better monitor and report. Uh, so yeah, it's a big portion of our customer base is marketing agencies for sure. Yep. Um, the company right now is at roughly seven and a half million ARR. I think you're just over 100 people just for, for context for people. And so yep. before we dive into co-marketing and LinkedIn, t can you tell me a little bit about your journey? You know, looking at LinkedIn, you spend, I think, nine years at HubSpot, which is obviously a company most of the people will have heard about eventually, you know, moving up the ranks to VP sales. So um, tell me about that journey and how you ended up at, at Databox and, and, and you know, being the CEO there now. So um, I joined HubSpot uh, 
very lucky for me as an early employee, 15th employee there as uh, the fourth wow. sales rep. Wow. Um, yeah, so it was very early. We had at the time, I remember the 100 customer partner party, which so we had around and we charged $250 a month at the time. So it was around $300,000 in revenue. So it was a really early uh, stage. Um, but uh, it was more stable than my previous um, jo- uh, startup that I had started and run for several years. So uh, represented, represented a, a paycheck. Yeah, they had just raised the Series A, I think, right when I was joining. Um, so they had money in the bank and and runway. And um, yeah, and it was, you know, really smart people um, that I was very impressed with. Were they th- were they already public then in 2017 when you left? Oh, no, no. Very private. Yeah, private company. Yeah, no. Startup. Series A backed uh, at the time. So 15 people. No, no. I mean, in 2017 when you left, was was HubSpot IPO oh, at that I point? Left? Yeah, yeah. HubSpot went public. I was, yes, yes. Wow. So you saw the journey from what, 15 people to... How many people were in the end? Yeah, to a few hundred million in revenue. Yep. And so I'm assuming you cashed out a little bit. 15th employee, you probably had a little bit of equity there. And then why did you decide to, to you wanted just another challenge? You didn't, you wanted something smaller again? Or why did you decide to kind of leave Hobbs? That is definitely the short version. Yeah. So, so I ran a big team. Um, I started the... HubSpot Solutions Partner Program used to be called the Marketing Agency Partner Program. Um, and um, that was really successful. It's it's about 40% of HubSpot's revenue. Um, it, and I grew it to about $115 million ARR business. Uh, and so it got to be the, a really key, critical part of HubSpot's uh, business. And it ceased being an entrepreneurial venture. Um I, when I started it, I started it against the wishes of the executive team um, and kind of did it nights and weekends, proved out that it would work. And then they reluctantly invested in it. And then I was always, my team always exceeded tar- our targets literally for years straight, month over month. And, um, and so there was never a problem uh, until there was, until channel conflict became a big thing. And at that point, we had to do much more of an integration of the program and the sales funnel with the direct sales team. And at that point, it became less of an entrepreneurial thing for me, where I, in, like an internal entrepreneur, and I just yearned to be doing a startup again and figuring new things out and all that. And so I was gonna actually go and um, start my own thing. I started meeting with some VC firms, uh, seed stage VC firms, and one of them said, you have to meet one of our portfolio companies. And so I ended up getting connected to the founder of Databox and ended up joining as CEO of Databox in 2017. What was it about the company that, that made you want to join them? Uh, I'm an engineer and uh, they're all about pulling data together. And I loved that. I think that like business is frankly too complex for uh, most humans to operate without computers um, at this point, both not just doing things like marketing and sales and finance and all that, but also um, you know, using computers to understand how you're performing, not just from a monitoring perspective, but from using predictive models, et cetera. And um, I seeing the future of like companies being more needing to, to rely on data to make decisions. It felt like a, a really good opportunity. It also was an opportunity for me to continue to work with marketing agencies, um, and, and which I love. I love helping marketing agencies. Uh, and so um, and then the team was great. From a product perspective, they had built a great product, and I could see that they really had the ability, from a product and engineering spe- perspective, to build something special. And so that was that was that was enough. 
What was the transition like, you know, going from a sales marketing partnership role? I mean, your last job title at HubSpot was VP of sales to the CEO role. Like, what were the biggest, I guess, learning points for you that, or was it pretty straightforward for you? It was pretty straightforward. I had run a business that I had started um, for before HubSpot and did that for five, six years. And, I, you know, the first part of any business is just figuring out what should you sell and how should you sell it and who do you sell it to and and all that stuff. So that's and I was there at HubSpot when we figured that stuff out. So that stuff was natural for me. I think as we've grown, my biggest challenge is probably balancing the external relationships that I have to manage with the internal operational stuff that I have to manage. Mm-hmm. But that didn't really present itself until more recently, I'd say. I wouldn't say I'm a perfect CEO by any stretch at all, um, but I have good people around me, including the founder who really runs the majority of the business um, and, and to, from an operational perspective. Uh, and then, um, you know, people that report to me on the sales and marketing side that that keep keep things running while I get to spend my time figuring stuff, continuing to figure stuff out, be the, you know, be the spokesperson for the company, um, help really guide the strategy of the company and um, all that. I mean, now you're six years into that journey. What's one thing, you know, if you could call up Peter the night before leaving HubSpot and joining, you know, Databox, what's like one piece of advice that you wish you had known back then? Yeah, I probably would have said to myself, don't sell your, don't sell as much stock as early as you did, but (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) That would be the advice. HubSpot stock price went crazy uh, after I left. Right. Because um, they kept growing in a more rapid God scale. damn it. So let's talk about the co-marketing program. Maybe give a little context of what it is and how it works, and then we can dive into some specifics. So um, I think most companies, when they start a partner program, their first step, their first question that they're trying is like, how can we get other people to resell our product? It's a question that leads them down a very specific path that usually ends in frustration for most companies. Um, and so the way I look at partnering with other organizations is I ask myself, how can I help them grow their business? Uh, and so that's what I did at HubSpot is I built a business model for agencies to follow that allowed them to improve their uh, cash flow, allowed them to improve their growth rate, allowed them to improve, the, improve their margins. Um, and it, and selling the product, reselling HubSpot was an incidental part of it, very much my design. It was incidental, but we led with this idea that, hey, you need to sell a certain set of services that are in demand. You need to sell them in a consultative way so that people will buy them. You need to sell them as an ongoing thing because doing marketing for one or two months doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, and here's the sales process to follow. Here's the marketing process to follow. Here's how to price and package your services. Uh, here's how to deliver them, of course. And then, yes, you should learn our software so you can deliver those services efficiently. And so I'm doing the same thing here at Databox with a slightly different angle. This angle is marketing in general for professional services firms, including marketing agencies, consultants, um, even accountants, needs to change because largely they're commodities at this point and they're largely order takers. Uh, and they need to get to the point where they are focused in on a market, have a differentiated service. And then go out to market in a different way where they're collaborating with their audience. And so what we've done is we've built a product and a program to help them facilitate this new marketing process and 
uh, that we're advocating for them. And it happens to work that when we do this together, we can help them get leads and they can help us get signups for our free product. Um, and so that's what we built is this co-marketing program where we work together to help each other expand our audiences and capture uh, leads for our respective services. So what is the, the, the partnership exactly look like? So if I'm a marketing agency and I want to join this program, like what do I do? What do you do? What's an, an example outcome? Yeah. So one of the things that we help them help our partners do is build a proprietary data set that they can use to market their own expertise, qualify their prospects and get their clients to follow their advice, which I think is hard for most agencies and professional services firms. Um, there's two types of data that we help them gather. One is business performance data and the other is business process or business best practice data. Um, and so for the business performance data, we've built a free tool called Benchmarks. Uh, you can check it out at benchmarks.databox.com. Um, what it allows an agency or a consultant to do is create a benchmark group for a specific type of company. So we have a partner, for example, who is a marketing agency who only works with mental health clinics uh, and they have 200 clients. And so what they were able to do is connect all their clients to this free tool and then connect their clients, Facebook ads and Google ads and Google analytics data to this tool. Um, and then it automatically calculates a benchmark so that each client can then see how they compare anonymously to the group's data. So it'll show them you are outperforming 60% of the sample or in this metric. So like your sessions, your website sessions are Six, uh, you know, outperforming sixty percent of the companies in the sample, and here's where you fit on this little bar, in this little um, chart, um, and uh, it might also say like your cost per click for your Facebook ads um, is underperforming, right? You're only outperforming thirty percent of the sample, uh, so it allows the agency to go in and say, here's how you're comparing, and these are the things we recommend you do in order to be more like the top performers in this group. Um, so that's the first step is launching what we call a benchmark group together. So the agency uses the benchmarks to better communicate to their customers and have data to back up the decisions that they want to make adjustments that they want to make to the campaigns, for example. Yeah, there's three stop. There's three places they use it. So first they use it in marketing so they can publish some of this data and say, hey, we know how your behavioral health clinics paid ads should perform. Here it is. Here's some of the data. And then second is, hey, do you want access to all of the data? And you want to see how you compare on a chart where we show you exactly which where you're underperforming and overperforming. And that's a sales offer that helps them to qualify the, the prospect and say, here's your problems. Do you want to fix them? Uh, okay, yeah, we could help you. Um, and then the third one is, yes, working with existing clients to say, hey, we've we've benchmarked you and we can see that as we've been telling you, you should spend a little bit more on your paid ads budget in order to keep up with company, other companies like you. Or, hey, we should refresh your campaigns or your ad campaigns so that we can get your CPC up or your ROS up. Um, and so it allows them to guide the, the conversation and make recommendations with data to back it up. I'm curious for the last use case to report to existing customers. I mean, almost by definition, because it's based on their customer data set, 50% of the customers will overperform the average and 50% will underperform the average. So 50% of customers will be very happy seeing like, oh, wow, we're doing better than the 
than the benchmark, than the average. But 50% of customers will be like, damn, we're below the average. And so like, even as you move that and you improve the 50% who are below average, the benchmark increases. So there will always be 50% who are like, why are we doing so bad? You're very astute. You might be the first person that's pointed out to me. I, yes, by by its nature, 50% of the sample will be below the median, um, not the average necessarily, but yeah. between yeah, the yeah. median. Um, and, uh, and yes, what usually happens, though, is uh, certain companies might be underperforming in some areas and overperforming in others. And so usually it allows for a very balanced conversation to say, like, you're, you're crushing it over here. Uh, I looked at some data for a company the other day and like their traffic is through the roof compared to most um, companies. And even their website bounce rate is really low, meaning that most people come there, they find what they want and they spend time on it. But their conversion rate was really low. And so the recommendation to them for them is obviously, hey, you need to like you have lots of traffic. You need to think about how you're converting this traffic. Maybe you need better offers. Maybe you need better landing pages. Maybe we just need calls to action that send people to those landing pages whatever that looks like. Um, but usually it's balanced. Like you're doing one something well and something poorly. And it's just a matter of saying, Hey, let's fix this. Um, and usually these aren't surprises for most agencies, right? It's uh, the agency knows generally who's doing what better. It's usually just pointing it out to back up their recommendations. Cause most good agencies at least are, are sitting down with their clients every quarter and reflecting on the data and reflecting on what they did and making new recommendations. And so this is just to help, you know, augment those recommendations. So for the other two use cases to publish data and then to kind of use it in, in the sales process to let prospects like benchmark themselves against their customers. Does this mean this only really applies for marketing agency who have a pretty niche customer set? Because I feel like most agencies, they basically sell to anyone, right? They have some, you know, tech companies in there. They have some professional services companies in there. Some of them are mid-market. Some of them are SMBs. Maybe they have an enterprise customer. Does this really make sense for those types of agencies still? Yeah, so um, it does for a variety of reasons. First of all, we have um, tens of thousands of companies already opted in. So we can help an agency benchmark no matter who they're working with. Um, and then when we work with an agency, what we usually find is that they want to be more focused on a niche because they know that if they're more focused on a niche and they develop some differentiated solutions for that niche, that they will ultimately be a more profitable agency. The problem is most of them don't market themselves very well in that niche. And so this gives them a step in that direction. Um, we can say, hey, we can help you build this group. Let's say you have five clients in one specific market. Let's start with that and let's and then let's start telling the stories of those five clients and building this benchmark group. And, and that allows them to do more targeted prospecting, maybe more targeted ads, et cetera. So that's generally what we do is we take those agencies that are trying to be all things to all people, which is a very unprofitable path for most agencies. And we help them make that first step towards being uh, being focused on a niche. Are, are you saying, I mean, what I see, this could also be super useful if, if I'm in that sort of agency, if I'm that sort of agency running this analysis for all of my customers, I might see that, oh, wow, for my segment of customers that are in B2B software, I'm overperforming relative to with the other agencies, but for my professional services companies, customer, like I'm really below the benchmark pretty much through the, through the bench. So like, 
if I'm already doing better than the benchmark over here, let me like it allows people to actually realize where they're doing well and where they're not doing well and, and go down that path, right? They could. Yeah. Most agencies know that already. They know where they're good and where they're struggling. Um, but yeah, that, that could certainly be a use case. Another very similar use case we have is that agencies that are specialized in a specific technology um, that they offer for their clients, um, they can build a benchmark around that. And it's that's another way of kind of being a niche. Um, so we have some agencies that obviously focus on HubSpot based on my background. We have some Shopify ones, an active campaign one, et cetera. And so they can use that data to say, hey, here's how the typical large HubSpot customer should should be performing, right? And that gives them an in into other HubSpot customers. We have an agency called Smartbug Media, who uh, they're they're arguably the largest or one of the at least the top HubSpot part solution partner. I've known them since they became a HubSpot partner. Uh, and there are a few hundred, few hundred employees, and they typically work with larger companies. And so what we did is we put together a benchmark group that allowed them to compare all of their car clients, regardless of industry, with all of the versus, I should say, all of the other HubSpot customers that have opted into our system. And so we were able to say that Smartbug's clients outperform the typical HubSpot customer in for these metrics in this way and in this amount. Um, and so it allows them to go and say, do you want to be one of the top performing HubSpot customers? Maybe you should consider work or at least talking to us about how you can you know, be more like our clients or get performance similar to our clients. So um, so it allows an agency to kind of make that claim that they're maybe better than the typical, um, typical uh, user of another technology. So I guess to, to try to understand the funnel of this, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a PLG motion. Is it just as straightforward as because these agencies can now use Databox in their, you know, in their marketing and in their sales to showcase the, uh, you know, the benchmarks and whether maybe prospects might be underperforming the benchmarks? That just exposes Databox to a bunch of new companies, and so once they kind of use this benchmark tool, they're more likely to then be like, oh, what's what's Databox? Should we maybe sign up for this? Is it as straightforward as that, or what's the kind of you know conversion? Uh, that is one. There's three or four ways that it benefits us. Um, the yeah, the obvious one, which you just brought up, is that uh, in order for an agency to use this, they have to introduce their prospects and clients to it, which becomes a free sign up. And in order for the prospect or client to get access to the report themselves, they they the the agency has to create an account for them, or they have to create an account. Uh, in order to get that report, that benchmark report that they want. So, um, so yes, it introduces, it's free for everybody, including the agency, as well as their clients and prospects. Um, so there's really no cost to it. So that removes a lot of friction and gets us signups. Uh, it also helps us get our partners promoting us and building awareness, right? Because they're talking about their benchmarks and sharing the benchmark data in their marketing. So they'll write a blog post that links to us. They'll send an email campaign that says, in partnership with Databox, we're doing this. They'll post on social with some of their data and link to their benchmark group. So um, lots of different ways that they can help us uh, get a lead. They're also like we're also all kind of working together to build this bigger and bigger database, which becomes valuable for every one of us. Because if you know we have 20,000 or 30,000 HubSpot customers using this, then and there's 100 agent, HubSpot partners using it, Like those 100 HubSpot partners now have access to all this amazing data that they wouldn't otherwise have access to that they can use to inform their recommendations and, and all that. So, um, so yes, it's, uh, 
a co-marketing play. There's a, a very, you've most social nets have a virality component to it, right? Where you know, we all use LinkedIn because we all use LinkedIn, but when it started, there wasn't many of us using LinkedIn, but we did go and invite our, our, pro, our contacts because it was beneficial for them to be on the platform for us. Right. And so there's a similar mechanism at play here. It's not as fast as LinkedIn's viral coefficient, but um, there is a viral coefficient to it. So when did you, when did you start or initiate this, this program? Um, a little less than a year ago. Um, but it's, taken us a while to get efficient at what we're doing. Um, so the first version of this was um, was basically me talking about it and, and partners saying I would be interested and then me having three or four calls with them to figure out what to do and and then you know working with the engineering team to build it like there was a lot uh, a lot of manual work and now we actually you can just go to benchmarks.databox.com now if you're a consultant or an agency and click host a group. And you start a group just like you would create a group on LinkedIn or Facebook or something. Um, and you can just design the group right through the interface. We also have partnership managers that can that can assist and answer questions. But um, but it's now pretty self-service. Right now you're at the point where this is roughly generating 6,000 signups every month just through agencies sharing it, creating their benchmarks, publishing reports. I wish. No. If that if that was the case, I'd be retired by now because we we'd have figured it out. No, we're getting hundreds hundreds of of signups now per month. We ha we we're just we're just under a hundred partners. Um, we grew from like ten partners to to sixty sixty or seventy last quarter, and we're adding like ten a week at this point. We're growing it, but like we're just getting things off, like starting to accelerate at this point. We get six thousand uh, uh, signups for our free product through Databox.com, and that's largely also through the first co-marketing and SEO. Um, and so, all of the content we've produced has been crowdsourced. Um, so, the other thing that we do, or the thing we do before benchmarks, is we would decide that we want to write an article on a topic instead of sitting down and like googling and then writing an article we would build a survey and ask 10, 20, 50, at this point, hundreds, sometimes hundreds of experts to weigh in on that topic, answer some multiple choice questions, open-ended questions. And then we take that research, we do the analysis for the multiple choice questions, we screen out the crappy answers for the, from the open-ended questions, and we feed that to a writer who weaves together an article. We've done that 1,400 times now. Uh, and that's allowed us to, to publish a lot of content, get our domain authority up, um, which allows us to then get uh, really high intent pages of our site to rank well. Um, so we uh, one of one group of pages that ranks really well are our dashboard templates. So if you go and Google Facebook ads dashboard template, I think we'll be number one. It might be number five or whatever, but um, we rank for hundreds of keyword terms like that. Um, and so that is a big part of our funnel. We also get a lot of traffic to our blog posts that we can redirect in, 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 to our product pages, for example. We also just recently launched um, a, a metrics library um, where you can actually browse the definition of thousands of metrics from 100 plus popular tools and benchmark, get see benchmark data, see how to improve that metric, grab dashboards that, that include that metric, et cetera. And so there's lots of content we have on our site that, that ranks that we've really largely crowdsourced. So how many of these crowdsourced blog posts do you currently publish a month? 
Uh, a handful. We've actually, last quarter, we shifted our focus. So instead of us coming up with the ideas, we now work with our partners to come up with ideas for surveys. Um, uh-huh. And so each one of, not each one, but many of the companies, the agencies and consultants that have benchmark groups um, work with us to design a survey, then we run it together. So we kind of just shifted focus and we actually lowered the volume while we shifted um, that focus. Um, but now what we have is we have these partners not just promoting their benchmark group, but we're also promoting a joint survey together, which will then turn into content. So, and the the beauty of that is that we'll, at some point we will be able to compare the benchmark performance with the data we collect from surveys in order to tell companies how to improve their performance. I think this is super smart. I mean, so basically how it works is that people can join the network, fill out a little application, and then they get an email, I'm assuming, whenever there's a new survey. And so there's right now a bunch of these surveys up. And so it's basically how can SaaS companies increase their net profit margins, how B2B companies connect with hard-to-reach prospects. And then when you click on any of them, it's basically a survey that you fill out and you provide your own, I'm assuming, like data and point of view on this question. And so for you guys, it's great because you basically crowdsource the topic and crowdsource the content. So it's, it's, it's lower effort. And then for all the, the, the reason why people would want to fill this out is because once you publish it, it backlinks to their website. So it builds their own domain uh, authority and, you know, credibility. If I'm linked up here as, you know, whatever, an expert sharing my perspective on this topic, uh, that's free promotion for me, right? So it's kind of like a win-win situation. That's right. They also get instant access to the preliminary results. So they can see if they're interested, hopefully they're actually really interested in the topic, in which case they can see what the aggregate um, responses are from those people. And if you back, if you go back to that survey, you can see that survey was done in partnership, that specific survey that you were showing is done in partnership with spot on agency. And so we're doing that together. And so they're getting respondents and we're getting respondents and together we're able to build a bigger data set. And so when did you start this program? Um, the program where we do the joint surveys, we just started like maybe two, three months ago. We've been doing surveys in order to create content for six years. And and what is it doing in terms of the 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 SEO traffic that you guys are getting accumulatively from from these blog um, posts now? I don't know the cumulative number, but we get about two hundred fifty thousand sessions a month. Wow! And so the the hope is that you know the the benchmarks product will eventually scale up to a similar point where there's going to be lots of data published and blocks and reports being published that all link back to to data box and your benchmarks product on its own yeah so really benchmarks our vision there is that anyone should be able to access them i think most companies produce benchmarks in order to sell their consulting or sell the report Um, and so what we're doing is building a community of mostly smaller businesses who want to do research but are willing to contribute that research to the world uh, and share that openly. And so by having hundreds, hopefully thousands of partners someday run having their own niche benchmarks, running their own surveys, like we can to get collectively build um, a really large data set while each of the partners are building a unique data set that's relevant to their market and their business. So let's let's switch to to LinkedIn um, because this is a topic that's close to kind of what we do and and obviously I've been seeing your content and it's been loving it and 
So I guess first question is why is the CEO of a hundred plus people company posting basically every day? I mean, from what I see, you're basically posting like Monday through Friday every single day. So why would the CEO of a hundred people company do that? I think it's my responsibility to set the vision, help set the vision for the company in collaboration with the team members and the founders, of course. Um, and then test that vision and get feedback on that and, and then evangelize it. Um, I kind of see that as like the number one job of a, of a CEO other than not running out of money um, and always having money to, to, to pay the bills and pay the team. And so that's why I prioritize it. I'm also fortunate, very fortunate to have people around me who can largely run the buzz. If I, if I, you know, left, they could run the business and we'd do just fine. The way I see my role is figuring out what's the future look like for us and then bring people along. Uh, and so that's why I prioritize it. Um, I also really personally enjoy it. Like I enjoy learning from other people. I enjoy sharing what I'm learning. I enjoy, um, getting that feedback and, and know, and, you know, knowing that we're on the right track with the stuff that we're doing. For you, LinkedIn is a way to number one, evangelize your product, your category, and to, to share the vision of where you want to go and then kind of use it as a real-time feedback mechanism to see what people are reacting to, resonating with, responding to what they like, what they don't like. So it's kind of like market research for you. Is that accurate? Yeah, a big part of it is research. Yeah, research to validate our ideas, not just my ideas, but ideas from the team, things we're building, like a feature called anomaly detection, um, which will detect when some metric in your business is out of whack, whether it's way out, way down or whatever, but it's out of the forecasted range. Um, and so I'll, I'll, I shared that, right. I'll share, share that and get feedback on that. What would people use that? What metrics have, have they, you know, woken up on a Sunday morning and said, shit, I wish I caught that, you know, last week. And I wouldn't have spent all that money on Facebook ads if I knew my sales team was over overworked or, Hey, uh, you know, I wish I knew that the sales team was underperforming before the 30th of the month, we could have done something about it in marketing. Right. So um, so that's a like a, something I can write about and get feedback on and see, are we on the right track with building that? Uh, and then once we get that out there, right, get people to try it, et cetera. So I think I see myself kind of as the tip of the spear of doing that research validation and getting those early users so that we can confidently make decisions on where to invest our resources and time and and when to scale and when not to scale certain things. So that type of impact is almost a little... It's qualitative, right? Like you have a gut feeling that talking about these things and then getting responses back will help you understand what's important, what's not important, what you guys should focus on. Have you guys been able to quantify? Yeah, no, I think I think so. Yes, I usually can see the feedback through. And I also, by the way, I also don't just post on LinkedIn. I have lots of private conversations with our customers, our partners, smart people in our world, right? Uh, and so I often can get feedback and make and make like a judgment very quickly through qualitative uh, feedback. Right. However, I, there's also a lot of quantitative and we're from an analytics company. Obviously, that's important. So the quantitative stuff starts with what message resonated, what post went viral, what post got lots of people to respond and say, hell yeah, what post went nowhere because nobody gave a shit or what posts got a lot of negative feedback. Like I can see that through numbers very easily, right. On a daily basis and like faster than any feedback cycle 
I've ever seen, right? Like I'll post something at 8 a.m. and I'll know by 9 a.m. whether that's a popular idea or not. It didn't always work that way, but now that I have enough followers, I can get that feedback quickly. Um, but there is quantitative stuff. We also, of course, manage our funnel. So um, I have two partnership managers who work with our partners to set up our co-marketing um, uh, campaigns together. Uh, and that includes setting up the benchmark group as well as setting up a survey together and then working with them to make sure that that survey gets enough respondents and ultimately gets published on the right channels, et cetera. So um, I'm looking at that from a very quantitative perspective. We have a funnel in our CRM, just like we would a regular sales funnel, where I see, okay, I can see that we put 10 new partners in this week and we got five new partners to the finish line this week. Like, let's take a look at why that is. What can we do to make it more efficient and, and grow it, right? So we're using real data to make those decisions. And then we even have people that come in as co-marketing partners that then become customers of our analytics product. And so... Now I can make those connections. So everything's very, we measure everything and we're ultimately like, you know, determining our ROI from these activities based on, on what we're measuring. How do you attribute, you know, let's say someone follows you on LinkedIn, they love your content, they engage with it. And eventually maybe they go to your website and, you know, sign up for Databox. Maybe they sign up for the benchmark uh, program, reach out to a person. W what's the process? Maybe you guys don't have one but how do you guys have anything to say oh yeah like peter's linkedin posts contributed to this person signing up our process is a little more proactive than that like there's my partnership managers actually follow up with people that might leave a comment right they connect with people themselves they write their own stuff and respond to people that that they connect with um so it's a little more proactive but to answer your question very Specifically, yes, it happens where people might be following me forever, love the stuff, but never leave a comment, never engage with me. And then like one day they're like, hey, I think we need a dashboard software to present these results to clients. And they'll go and Google us, right? Uh, type in Databox and they'll get to Databox. So one thing we monitor is our branded traffic. Like, is that going up? Is the number of people mentioning Databox uh, and ending up at Google and then ending up at our homepage? Uh, is that going up? And that does go has been going up over time as we've done more and more, you know, demand creation type stuff like on LinkedIn and podcasts and stuff. The other thing we do is when somebody books a call with our sales team, we ask them a question: um, Where did you hear about us? And then every so often, usually every few weeks, we'll go in and we'll categorize those into different buckets. And I can see that about thirty percent of our sales calls that are booked are coming from word of mouth partners or demand creation channels like LinkedIn and podcasts and newsletter and things like that. Um, so I can see it very clearly, but if I log into Google analytics, like 99% of our leads come from SEO, right? So by using self-reported attribution, I can start to justify <laughs> the time that I spend on LinkedIn, the time we spend in other channels and the time we spend with co-marketing partners and all that. Posting daily on LinkedIn is a time investment, right? And you just mentioned that you also do more, right? You have conversations with people, you're in the comments, you're replying, you're engaging with other people's con content. Is it all you? I know you said your program, uh, partnership managers reach out to people, but do you create all your content yourself? Do you have some sort of process to do this? Do you have a team who does it for you? Like what's your process? All of the stuff that I publish on LinkedIn, I either wrote 100% or edited heavily. So there's no one ghostwriting for me. Occasionally I'll ask someone, ghostwrite something for me, and then I'll change it and I'll edit it to, to fit me. So there's times when I get some help. 
Um, and that's both internal people. Sometimes it's our partners. I say, Hey, ghost write something for me if you want me to promote your thing. Um, and so I'll, so I'll do that too. Um, most people unfortunately don't take me up on that, but, um, but I do offer it occasionally. Um, so most of the time it's me writing. I am the one responding. I do follow people and I respond to their content. I think that's important. Way back in the day, I had a business blog, like in 2001, before anyone was business blogging. And the way I split my time up on it was one third reading, one third commenting and one third writing. The reading and the commenting helps me learn, helps me get a pulse on the topics that matter, that are relevant to my audience, et cetera. It also helps me connect with people who are smart uh, and um, and learn from them, but also leverage their audience, right? By linking to them and interviewing them, et cetera. And so I, I spend that time doing that. Um, on the content production side, I have a lot of help. So whenever we create a survey, either on our own or with a partner, we have a full-time analyst that designs surveys and also will analyze results once we have enough respondents. Um, we have a full-time person that all they do is go out and I shouldn't say all they do. She does a lot of other stuff, but she spends a lot of her time reaching out to people who could contribute to our articles um, and asking them to do that. Um, and then uh, a full-time editor who manages all of that plus helps with uh, making sure that the content we're producing is good and works with our freelance writers to produce the content. So um, not to mention one more person um, who kind of straddles product marketing and demand creation, who runs our podcast and writes a uh, twice monthly newsletter, which where we take the content we're producing from our surveys and benchmarks. And we highlight that on the podcast. We highlight that in the newsletter. So we have a pretty, um, I'd say streamlined, efficient production system, but it does involve, you know, four or five people, not to mention the two partnership managers who. And for your own LinkedIn con posts, because you said you, you write them yourself or heavily edit them. Do you have a bank of ideas? Is it every day just you see something and you are like, Oh, this is interesting. I'm going to write about this. You know, do you batch it and sit down once a week and write all of your, like, how do you manage it for yourself? Um, yeah, so great question. Let me close the loop on that last one that, to make sure I answer your question. You asked me about the production of the content. So when we produce content like a podcast or a newsletter or an article, I often will take the lessons from that stuff and share that on my LinkedIn profile. So just wanted to say, like, I'm not sitting down or in an empty room and coming up with every idea. A lot of times it's ideas from my team and stuff we've produced that I'm sharing the lessons from. But to answer your question on terms of my habits, um, I wish I was a little more organized. Occasionally I'll sit down on a Saturday or Sunday and bang out three or four posts uh, and schedule them. But usually, usually, um, usually what happens is um, I either wake up real early and I type something out that I couldn't stop thinking about. Um, or something will happen to me during the day. And at the end of the day, I'm like, I'm going to write 200 words on that and I'm going to share it. Um, a lot of my time, my posts are not like me telling the world what I think. A lot of times they are me telling the world something I learned or something I observed. Um, and those don't take a lot of time. Like they're pretty easy. It's like you have, I had a conversation with uh, John Jantz. He interviewed me for his podcast. He runs duct tape marketing. Amazing guy really, really smart marketer, been at the game for a while. And at the end of that, we talked about this rising trend of freelance CMOs. And so today, this morning, I spent 10 minutes writing about, hey, I was talking to John Jantz and he says there's this rising trend and I observed it too. Like I've noticed more and more of these. What's this mean for marketing agencies? And I posted that. It took me 10 minutes to write that. 
And that got, you know, I haven't checked it in a little while, but I think it got like 25 comments and a handful of reshares. Like you don't have to sit there and write a thesis. You can just share what you're learning as you're learning. it. Love it. So I guess last question here before we wrap up, we talk with these people, we work with them. If, you know, I'm a CEO or a CEO is listening and maybe they've seen people like you be really active on LinkedIn, but they can't see the back end of, is this working? Why are they doing it? Uh, what would you, and they're maybe on the sideline, they're debating, what would you tell them? When does it make sense? When is it the right choice? Should they do it? Should they not do it? What does it depend on? Obviously, I'm sold on it. So I think it's crazy that CEOs don't take advantage of this. They, they their, their voice carries a lot of authority just by the nature of their title, regardless of how big and successful they are. Like people like to read from, a, read things and share and listen to things that are, from successful people. And so I think it's modicum of effort for a large return uh, on it. Um, if they're not seeing how it connects, then I would um, challenge them to really be honest about where their business is coming from. Because if they have a good product and if they have a good service, I can guarantee them that the majority of their business comes from word of mouth. It's not paid ads. It's not SEO. It's not the freaking blog. Um, it's, it's word of mouth and they are, they can accelerate word of mouth like never before. Like back in the day when we would knock on doors and we'd cold call and we'd set, we'd place ads to get business. You had no way to accelerate word of mouth, but now it's really easy. You literally connect with your clients or customers on social media. You write, you interview them, you on a podcast, do a forum on a survey, whatever question that you send them by email, you gather insights and observations, you anonymize it if you need to, because they, they don't want to be, their clients don't want to be public about it. And you publish that information. Once you publish that information, those same people will want to share it with people just like them. Um, whether that's a podcast, a newsletter, uh, you know, a, a LinkedIn post, et cetera. And it works really well on social, not just LinkedIn, but Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, whatever you want to go to YouTube, especially. And so if you write content about your clients and about how they're successful and, and about their world, you will attract more people like them. It is the easiest possible marketing tactic you could ever employ. And so I would challenge them to think about how to use social to accelerate word of mouth by collaborating with the people that like them, trust them and will will recommend them, right? Um, because you can accelerate that really fast on social. How do you think about the attribution? I saw you posted about this the other day, but you know, traditionally we think about, oh, I wanna see through last click how this person entered the website and then converted or whatever you know, software-based attribution they have. LinkedIn is hard to track. What's your thoughts on like, I'm groping in the dark. Okay, now I'm posting on LinkedIn. I get likes, I get comments, but do we get customers from this? Like it goes back to the earlier advice. It's one third reading, one third writing, uh, you know, one third reading, one third commenting, one third writing. If I add to add another third, it would be connecting with the people who are interested in what you're writing. So if you get a post with 50 reactions, reach out to those people and say, I saw you reacted to my post. What was most interesting to you? Um, you can have somebody to do that. It's really easy. Um, Right. Make the connection, start the conversations. I think what that CEO will realize is that they can start a conversation about a million times easier than their BDR can. 
they can start a conversation a lot faster than waiting for the next blog post to rank in Google and track the right audience. Um, and if you just understand that you can make those connections to people, then it's about how do you scale that up? And that's the hard part. The hard part is then now you got to get some of your team members doing the same activity. You got to take make time maybe for your best account manager just to spend an hour to every week writing something, you know, for your best salespeople to do things. You got to train your BDRs on business acumen, not how to send the same freaking five emails to the 500th person this week. Um, so you got to rethink some of the processes that you have in order to get that ROI. But if you're any good at writing, communicating, which you should be as a CEO, or you should work on it, um, then you, you will see is people reacting to your stuff and it will give you opportunities for conversations. And those conversations should lead to business, assuming you have a modicum of sales experience, um, which I think most CEOs do. And if not, get your sales leader and marketing leaders to do it with you or for you or hire a hire an expert like yourselves to do it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. You squeezed that in. I love it. Uh, Peter, um, I appreciate you taking the time for this. There were a lot of great nuggets in here. Um, if people don't follow you or don't know about you, Peter Caputa on LinkedIn. Um, yeah, yeah, Peter, thank you for joining us. Yeah, fun, fun, fun to always talk about it. So appreciate, appreciate the opportunity to, to verbalize.